Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church Conway. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. Thanks for listening. Um, How many of you have somebody in your life who um, tells a lot of the same stories? Anybody? How many of you right now are picturing like your grandpa or your dad or somebody like that? That's typically who who does this. I I do it all the time. I think Josh and I have told each other all of our stories at this point. Anytime we're like, hey, have I told you about the times? Yeah, yeah, you've, you've told me about the time many times. Right? And so we do that. We tell stories over and over again. Usually we'll go ahead and listen um, because, you know, we love stories and we love the person that's telling them uh, to us. Jesus was a great storyteller. He told stories all the time. And, and we're in this series that we're calling Parables. It's a three-week series. Uh, a parable is a made-up story that Jesus would use to, to drive home a very real point. Okay? And so we're going to see that uh, as, we, as we open up the word this morning. But the thing about it is, just as grandpa tells a lot of the same stories, you've probably heard this story before. You probably have. If you've been around church at all, you've probably heard this story. Now, if you're here and you're like, I, I, I'm not a church person, that's fine. I'm excited that you're here. I'm excited to tell you this story. But many of us, you've probably heard this, this story. And so what I want to challenge you to do is don't check out. Don't check out. Jesus tells us this story for a a purpose. He wants us today to hear a message uh, straight from him. He's going to show us in this story grace through the eyes of a father, okay? Grace through the eyes of a father. We're talking this morning about the story of the prodigal son. And you've probably heard that story. Uh, maybe, maybe you've heard it called The Prodigal Son or maybe The Lost Son. Um, it's, you know, there's been books, there's been songs. If you turn on K-Love, you're probably going to hear a song today that talks about The Prodigal Son in some way. There's, there's been paintings, all kinds of things about uh, this story, okay? And so we're going dive, to dive into it. But the, the crazy thing about it is it's, is it's called The Prodigal Son, but it's primarily about the father, Okay? And so I want us to see that. I want us to see us in the story. And I want us to, to draw our eyes to the Father this morning. So uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. That's where we'll be this morning. Our, our main text is, is going to start in verse 11. But uh, we, need to, we need to start in, in verse, verse 1. Angle that a little better here. All right, so... Um, Oops. There we go. New toys are fun. Okay, so in verse 1, this is going to set the context for us. Okay, here's, here's what we see as, as we get into this verse. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. That's Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining. So they were there too. So what you have here is you have two groups of people. The tax collectors and the sinners, and the Pharisees and the scribes. Now, we need to understand a little bit about these two. Tax collectors, if you've been around church, they get a bad rap. Rightfully so, okay? I, I always understood it to be this, this way. Basically, a tax collector was somebody who, if something cost 20 bucks, they would charge 30 and pocket the rest, which is annoying. Nobody likes that, right? Nobody likes to be stolen from, but it's worse than that. Rome was in charge of this entire area. They were oppressing uh, the Jewish people. 
and they've set up their military in the towns and uh, the way that they're funding their military and the way that they're funding their, their expansion is through taxing the very people they're oppressing. And, and so what's happened is, is they're coming in, they're oppressing the people, they're treating them extremely unfairly, doing uncre- incredibly difficult things to these families, and they're using their money to do it. And what's worse is these tax collectors have purchased the right from Rome in order to tax the people, take their money, charge more, and pocket it. So this would be like if a country were to come into the United States and take over and and completely own us, right? And their government is here. And and the way that they're funding that is, is through our money, our tax dollars. And one of your neighbors down the street has purchased the right to tax you and pocket the difference. That's what's happening. So the tax collectors were hated. They're the worst of the worst, okay? And then you got the, the Pharisees and the scribes. Now, the Pharisees and the scribes are the religious people. Whenever you see that in your Bible, what I like to do is I like to just read religious people, which is us, okay? People here on a Sunday morning, except for these guys are really good at being religious people. They're, they're better at it than even we are. Um, like Josh said last week, they would have had the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, memorized, they know it. They know what God's word says. So, so they know the word more than us, and they pray all the time. They pray more than we do. Like, they've got this religious thing down. And so what we see is these two groups of people, the worst of the worst, the best of the best, kind of coming together here. And the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining. They were complaining. And here was their complaint right here. This man, Jesus, welcomes sinners and eats with them. He welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, they didn't really have a problem with him eating with the Pharisees, as we see in chapter 14. But whenever he's eating with the tax collectors, then then they have an issue. And so what Jesus does, he addresses this accusation through parables, through these stories. And he goes on and he tells three stories. Okay, he he tells three stories, three different stories, but they all tell the same message. It's kind of like three instruments all playing the same song. Okay. And so he, he goes on. The first story is a, a story of, of the shepherd who, who lost a sheep. And what Jesus says is, he goes, how many of you, basically saying, wouldn't you do this? If you had a flock of sheep and you lost one, wouldn't you go find the one that you lost? Of course you would. And so you go find it. And then it says that, that when it's found, the shepherd calls all of his buddies and says, come, rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. So something's lost, something's found, and then a party, okay? The second story, Jesus goes straight into the second story. It's a story of, of a woman who lost uh, a coin. She has 10 coins, she loses one. She tears the entire house apart looking for this one coin. And when she finds it, she calls all of her buddies, all of her friends and says, hey, come rejoice with me because I found my lost coin. Something's lost, something's found, and then a party takes place, okay? Then we get into our story, the story of the prodigal son, And it's the same thing. A man has two sons. One of the sons is rebellious. He takes every, he takes his inheritance and he goes to a faraway country. He wastes it all, hits rock bottom, comes home. The father accepts him in and the older brother gets jealous and angry. And that's where it ends. Okay. So that's the basis of what we're talking about um, this, this morning. So first let's zoom in on the rebellious son, on the, on the first son. Okay. 
The point that Jesus is making here, the point that we need to see is that the younger son is the worst of the worst. Okay? And so what he says, says, verse 11, Jesus also said, a man had two sons. So father, two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. Give me my inheritance. Now, in order to get an inheritance, somebody usually has to die, right? And so what he's saying is, Dad, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. Give me what's mine. I want it. I can do better on my own. So just give me, you know, it, it doesn't matter to me whether you're alive or whether you're dead. I just want my stuff and I'm gone. Now, how many of you as parents would love to have a son or daughter come to you and say that? <laughs> Nobody right? But that's, that's what he does. And in fact, Jesus, again, made up storytelling a very real point. We need to understand that that's the essence of sin, is looking at God and saying, I don't need you. I don't need you. That's what the book of Romans talks about, saying that we worship creation over the creator. Anytime we look at God and say, I don't need you, we are all the rebellious son, okay? We're all the rebellious son. We've all looked at God and said, I don't need you. And I'm sure it broke the father's heart, but look, so he distributed the assets to them. So he broke his heart, but he, he gave him his inheritance. Now look at this, verse 13. Not many days later. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all that he had, and he traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. And after he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. So not many days later, he, he wasted all and he had nothing. This is, this is the progress. This is the, the progressive nature of sin that we're seeing here. The downward spiral of sin. You don't usually go straight from the father's house to the pig pen. There's a progression, and that's what we see. But we do need to understand that sin will destroy you. Sin will ultimately destroy you. And it says that he squandered his estate in foolish living. That word just means that he wasted it. He wasted it. He, he was given everything that he was owed. And he goes and he wastes it on foolish living. The older brother kind of tells us some of the stuff that he was getting into. But the point is, is that this feels like rock bottom. This feels like he's, he's hit the worst, but it actually, it gets worse. Look at verse 15. It says, then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country. Remember verse 14 says that he went to a faraway country. So he, he's now working for somebody. That, that kind of the way that that translates, we, we translate it to work, but it, what it means is he tied himself to someone from that other country. What Jesus has shown us here is this is a breaking point moment, and, and there's a few ways that he shows us. So he's, he's now working. He's a slave of a citizen of another country, which, by the way, would have been a Gentile. This Jewish boy is now a slave of a Gentile, and it gets worse, who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. Now, this is a big deal. The fact that he is 
feeding pigs is a big deal. Deuteronomy 14.8 says that, that a pig is unclean. Jewish people were not supposed to go near them, not supposed to eat them or even touch them. And here he is, he's, he's feeding them, and then he gets to the point where he's so hungry that he's actually in there eating with them. And so what, what the Jewish audience would have heard, there would have been gasp in the crowd whenever Jesus said this. This is shocking because you have a, a pig-feeding slave of a Gentile. This is a threefold curse. And this is the breaking point moment. This is the lowest of lows for the Jewish community. The lowest point. He's the worst of the worst. That's, that's the point that's being made here. And friends, this is where sin leaves us. Sin leaves us serving things that we never intended to serve, spiritually bro broken and alone. And that's where we see this young man. I want you to see this quote. There's a famous quote. It says, sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And we see all that in the story, that, that sin has taken him to a faraway country. It, it's taken him further than he wanted to go. It's kept him longer than he wanted to stay, and it's cost him more than he wanted to pay. He's completely broken. But the really sad part about this, about this quote even, is that it's by a guy named Ravi Zacharias. And if you know anything about what's gone on in, in Christian news over the past uh, few weeks, months, Ravi Zacharias was internationally known. He passed away recently, internationally known. He has a ministry called Ravi Zacharias International Ministry where he travels the world teaching the Bible. And, and, and he's a great teacher, speaker, uh, apologist, all these different things. But it came out recently that he was living a secret life and that he was harming people in incredibly uh, brutal ways. He was abusing women and he was abusing his platform and his power for unthinkable things. And I think if he were here today, he would tell us, pay attention to this, that sin will take you further than you wanna go, keep you longer than you wanna stay and cost you more than you want to pay. And so maybe you find yourself there this morning. Maybe you found yourself this morning at just this low, dark, breaking point. That you found yourself in a spot where sin has taken you further than you ever wanted to go. It's cost you more than you want to pay and it's keeping you longer than you wanted to say. So as this Jewish community is, is hearing this, they would, have, they would have known this. Again, they had the old, uh, the first five books memorized. And what Deuteronomy chapter 21 says about this young man is this. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father or mother and doesn't listen to them even after they discipline him, his father and mother are to take hold of him and bring him to the elders of his city to the gate of his hometown. They will say to the elders of his city, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He doesn't obey us and he's a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his city will stone him to death. That's, that's what's supposed to happen to him. He's a rebellious son. He should be stoned. The punishment for what he's done is death. Listen, I, I said earlier, the essence of sin is looking at God and saying, I don't need you. 
So we are all the rebellious son. We've all done this. We've all looked at God and said, I don't need you. And the penalty, just like in Deuteronomy 21, the penalty for, for sin there is, is death. Romans 6.23 tells us the payment for our sin is death. That the wages, the payment, the penalty for sin is death. And so, friends, we, we need to understand that. That if you are here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you've never trusted him and given him your life, the payment for your sin is death. Somebody has to die. A spiritual death. And it's at that moment, this lowest breaking point moment, that we see it leads to repentance. It says this. It says when he, when he came to his senses... When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food and here I am dying of hunger? It says he came to his senses. One of my favorite old theologians is named J.C. Ryle. And he says, a man must come to himself before he can come to God. And what that means is that every one of us must come to this breaking point of realization of going, you know what? I am broken and I am sinful and God is holy and he is perfect. And you come to this point where you realize he's all those things and I'm not. He came to his senses and then he starts to prepare his speech. He says, I know. I'll get up, I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me like one of your hired workers. And so he starts to prepare his speech. How many of you have done this, right? Maybe as a teenager, something like that. You're, you're somewhere where you know that you're not supposed to be. <laughs> you're coming home from a party or someplace where you should not have been, and you start to get your story straight. Because you know, as soon as you slide that key in the door and unlock it and slide open the door, mom or dad's probably going to be sitting right there, and you better have your story straight. So that's kind of what he's doing here. He's getting his, his story straight. He says, I'm not worthy to be your son. He's like, I'm just going to go home. I'm going to tell my dad this. I'm not worthy to be your son anymore. Just make me a slave. Just make me a slave. He comes to this point of, of realization that his father is extremely generous and caring. That he has more than enough to go around. And that even the crumbs from his table are far better than anything else that he has found in the world. And he realizes the extreme generosity and love that he so foolishly turned away from and gave up for things that'll never satisfy. And that's what repentance is. Repentance is believing that God is so great and so good that even the smallest enjoyments of his house are better than anything and anywhere else. And he comes to that point. He came to his senses. And with that changed heart, the boy heads home. But the thing about it is, is that, you remember Deuteronomy 21? That he's supposed to be stoned? You have to imagine in this story that Jesus is telling that, that word has probably started to spread. Word has gotten around. They've all gone to Bob's Grill and they've talked about it, right? I love their slogan. If it happens in Conway, it was talked about at Bob's Grill. They've all gone to Bob's Grill. They've talked about it. They know the story of of the rebellious son. And so here's the picture. As he's coming home, as he's walking back to dad's house, people are coming out and they're picking up stones. 
and they're ready to fulfill what Deuteronomy 21 says has to happen. But then the story takes an amazing and beautiful turn. I want you to see, I want you to fix your eyes on the loving Father in verse 20. In verse 20, this is a beautiful verse. I want you to see the extravagant and relentless love of the Father. It says, so, so the son got up and he went to his father, but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him. Look at that. He was still a long ways off, but his father saw him. How many, how many nights had the father gone out and sat on the porch and was just waiting and watching for his son to return? How many times has he stared at the same hill that the son walked over as he left, just hoping that one day he would see his silhouette coming closer to him? Despite everything that the son had gotten into, despite how far he had gone a long way off, the father never moved. He never moved. And you need to hear that about your heavenly father as well. That no matter what you've gotten yourself into, no matter how far you've strayed, he's constant. He's never changing. And he is faithful and he stands ready to welcome you home. And then look at this. It says that he was filled with compassion. This, this, the way this translates is just, it was a gut reaction. It's just a, the natural occurrence in his heart for what he's about to do. It, it wasn't premeditated. It wasn't this conscious decision. Love is just naturally in the Father's heart. And so he's filled with compassion, this gut reflex, and then he does something crazy. He ran. He ran. Okay? Now, Jewish men don't run. It would have been undignified for them to run. In fact, men today, unless they're on a ball field, if you see a man sprinting somewhere, something's probably wrong, right? So he's not, he's not running. It was undignified for them to pull up their robes, show their knees, and run, but he couldn't help himself. It was this gut reaction. It was just the compassion overflowing that he, he ran towards his son, and he, and he threw his arms around his neck, and then he kissed him. Do you see what's happening here? This is a beautiful picture of the gospel. That, that the son who's still covered in whatever's in a pig pen is coming home. He's unclean, he's defiled, and the father runs to him and embraces him, gives him a hug and kisses him. Now the father's taken on all of his uncleanliness. The father's taken on his guilt and his shame. And also, whenever he throws his arms around his neck, it's a picture of him saying, look, when the rocks start flying, I'll take the blow. And so the father runs to him, embraces him, and kisses him. Don't, don't miss it, man. This is a picture of what Jesus has done for us. This is a picture of our God. His gut reaction towards our sin was not to turn away from it, but to run towards it. And he ran towards us and our sin problem. And, and he put on skin and bone, and he came to this earth, and he lived a perfect life. And then he went to a brutal wooden cross, and he was killed in our place taking on our guilt and our shame and saying, I'll take the blow for you. And what's so cool is that God in his sovereignty, Deuteronomy 21, uh, that section that talks about a rebellious son should be stoned. The very next section that God inspired Moses to write is the section in Deuteronomy 21 that says, cursed is anyone who is killed and hung on a tree. The rebellious son, all of us, deserve 
death, but the faithful son, Jesus, came and he died a death that we were owed. He died for us. And then he came back alive, proving that he's God, proving that he has power over sin and death forever, proving that he has power over sin and death forever. And any of us who put our faith in him will be with him, will be saved. And so that's the gospel. That can be you today. You can know Jesus. You can come to him, be embraced, and have your sin taken away by him. Let's keep going in verse 21. The son begins his speech. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer to worthy to be called your son. But then, but then look at the reaction of the father. But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fatted calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. The son begins his rehearsed speech and the, son, and, and the dad says, no, 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 here's what we're gonna do. Bring out the best robe, which would have been one of his. Bring out the best robe and put it on. And this is a picture of cleanliness and righteousness being put on the son. It says, bring out the ring, which is a, a symbol of authority in the family. You're not, a, you're not a slave. Galatians 4, 7 says, you can't go from being a son to a slave. He said, you're not a slave, you're my son. And he puts a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, because only sons wear sandals in the house. They don't, they don't walk around barefoot. That's what the servants do. He's a son. Bring the robe, bring the ring, bring the sandals, and let's kill the calf. Let's celebrate. The son begins his guilty speech, and the father says, no, 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 robe, ring, stake. <laughs> Let's party. That's the reaction of the father. There's no room for guilt or shame or anything like that. It's all love. It's all mercy. It's all grace. It's all forgiveness. And the more that you and I understand this picture of grace, the more you and I will run towards the father instead of away from him. And if you've, if you've grown up around church or, or whatnot, and, and, and maybe your, your idea in your mind whenever it comes to God is some cranky old man with a scowl on his face, just ready to flick you in the forehead anytime you screw up. I want you to see this father, a father who runs to meet the son, gut reaction, just can't help himself, runs to meet him, embraces him, and kisses him. That's the God that we serve, that he desperately loves us. So let's look now at the other brother as we close. The older brother, the self-righteous brother. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came near the house, he, look at this, he heard the music and the dancing. I understand hearing the music, okay? But the dancing? This is a party. Like this, I don't know if they're doing like the cha-cha slide, the YMCA, you know, Cupid shuffle, whatever it is. Uh, they're partying in this, in this house. So he heard it and he refused to go in. Says he summoned one of his servants and he questioned, he says, what do these things mean? And the servant says, your brother is here. He told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf and because he has, uh, because he has him back safe, and sound. Verse 28, then he became angry 
and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. He's angry, doesn't want to go in, so his father comes out and he pleads with him. Man, the, the, the older self-righteous son, he was outside too. Notice that. He was outside too. But the father comes out and he doesn't punish him. He's like, I'm going to choke you out. Like, what are you doing? Go to your room. It, it wasn't any of that. He comes out and he says, you can come in too. Like, you can come into the house as well. And the older brother, he keeps going on. And he says, but he replied to his father, look, I have been slaving. Again, he's a son, but he sees his relationship as this. I've been slaving many years for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders. I'm better than he is. I'm better than the younger brother. Yet, you never even gave me a goat. <laughs> Are you serious? This dude wants a goat? The father's in the house giving out robes and rings and steak, and he wants a goat. But this is what happens when we don't fully understand grace and the love that the Father has for us. We'll settle for all kinds of lesser things. We'll redefine what good is, and it'll look nothing like what the Father is offering. And we'll get settled into this religious thing that we like to do of going, man, look at, look at all the good things that I'm doing. Look at all the people that I'm better than. And it's self-righteousness, and that's, that's where the older son finds himself. He says, I, I've been good. I'm better than he is. Now give me the stuff. Give me a goat. I want to go celebrate with my friends. Not I want to celebrate with the father. I just want to be around the friends. Keep going. Verse 30. Um, but when the son of yours came, this is the older son still talking, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fatted calf for him saying, you're too gracious. You're being, you've been too gracious to the younger brother. Verse 31, son, he said to him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours, he was dead and now is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. Remember where we started in verse 1. In this story, Jesus is addressing two kinds of people, two very real people. He's addressing tax collectors and sinners, the worst of the worst. That's the younger brother. And Pharisees and the scribes, the best of the best. The older brother, the self-righteous older brother. And what Jesus is saying is that from one end of the spectrum to the other, from the worst of the worst to the best of the best, all are welcomed into the house. The Father welcomes all into the house. And so, man, I want you to hear, no matter how bad you think you are, no matter how good you think you are, the Father stands with open arms ready to receive you this morning. And this is the invitation. This is, this is the invitation that God puts before us. And so I want us to see this morning a God who runs towards your sin. A God who embraces and kisses you and takes on all the guilt, all the shame, everything that you were owed, the punishment of death, and he gives good gifts. And he calls you a son or daughter or an heir of his kingdom. And then he celebrates and welcomes you into the feast. 
This is a a made-up story that Jesus gave, but listen, it's very real application, very real points. There's a very real feast that's coming. Jesus talks about it in Luke chapter 13, verse 29. He says, he says people are going to come from east and west and north and south, and they're all going to recline at the banquet of the kingdom of God. That's our future. If you are a believer of Jesus, one day you will recline at the feast with the king. He's going to welcome you into the house, but all those who want to stay outside, like the self-righteous older brother, won't be invited in. You remember the accusation in verse, in verse 2? This man, he welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Jesus is loudly declaring, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Say, I welcome in sinners from the best of the best to the worst of the worst, and we're going to celebrate. We're going to throw a party. And so, as we close this morning, I just want you to hear that you have an option in all this. This is a made-up story to prove a very real point. So who are you in the story? Are you still... Uh, the self-righteous older brother who's outside doing all the right things, coming to church, doing the right things, better than everybody else, you should give me the stuff. Is that you this morning? Or have you realized your deep need for the father like the rebellious son and ran towards him? I pray you've done that. If you haven't done that, you can do that this morning. What that looks like is, is, is you just cry out to God. You may go, I don't know how to do that. This is how you do that. God, in the best way that I know how, in the best way that I understand it, I know that I'm a sinful person and I've broken your commands and I want to run towards you today and I trust you for salvation. I know that you died for me. I know that you care for me and I want to give you my life. That's it. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the feast. And you can do that this morning. And I want to encourage you, if you do that, Stop by right out there because we'll throw a little mini celebration party that's a sign of what's to come. The Father, man, he stands. Open arms. Ready to receive you today. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.